Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. My next guests have joined us in the studio to talk about an exhibition currently showing at the Centre for Contemporary Photography, 23 Degrees and Rising. I'm joined by artists Abigail Varney and Matthew Stanton. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Richard. Thanks Thanks for having us. Now, this is uh, an exhibition. It's a joint exhibition, but two separate bodies of work, one from each of you. But there's clearly then parallels between the work and a conversation happening between the work. Uh, And uh, it's looking at, instead of the, the, I mean, the title 23 Degrees and Rising, people might initially think that's a direct reference to temperature, but it's actually Mm. a reference to what the Tropic of Mm. Capricorn and above, but then also linking in with kind of environmental issues and climate issues beyond that. How did the the exhibition come about? Did CCP approach you and say, we want to put your work on together? How do you feel about that? Very much so, yeah. That's exactly how it came about. Um, I think we uh, there was a, a particular opportunity to show there that came up and they were... I guess they'd been looking at our work and mm. uh, found a, a situation wherein we could all be... Uh, it could be brought together in a relationship mm. and have a broader conversation about, um, I guess, a lot of different issues facing the northern reaches of the continent. Mm. Um, and interestingly, also other artists who are showing in there, um, Rowan Hutchinson, for instance, is doing work also in relation to climate change on the Arctic. So it's quite across the whole gallery, there's a lot of interesting connections there going on. Yeah. Um, Abigail, when the when CCP, the Centre for Contemporary Photography, came to you and said, we want to kind of mount this joint exhibition, what was your initial response? Was it a kind of great my art can be in conversation with somebody else's or, oh, I don't get to share, have the spotlight, I have oh, to share no, it? I definitely love to share it. Share it away. No, um, my body of work um, shot in Darwin, it, it, it was definitely at a stage of work in progress. So I was um, a bit nervous about putting it out there, but it was actually a really great exercise to just push me and, and it's it's all right to show work in progress. So I really um, went for it and, and to be connected with Matt was just, yeah, very new new sphere for me, but um, no, I really enjoyed it. Were you aware of one another's practices before this exhibition? Yeah, good question. No, mm. not really. And at the same time, one, two, three, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So it's not then just an opportunity to present your work, but uh, an opportunity to learn about one another's kind of art and ideas and, mm. and themes as well. Absolutely. Yeah. In the artist talk just um, the day after the opening, I really got to understand Matt's practice and, and um, you know, look at the, I, you know, I look at the images a bit differently now and... Yeah, so that was it's good to have more conversations about it because you know the build up to the exhibition is pretty hectic. You're like hi, 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 just like through the hallways of setting up. There's no real, you know, dialogue. But, no, not really. And yeah. it's you don't really get a lot of time to spend significant time absorbing the work until after the opening. You can go in there by yourself and see see the arrangement and take it in properly because you're spending all of your time chatting to you know as friends and you know people from the broader community uh, up until then. Well, um, look, let's talk about the work. So, as we said, there's the exhibition itself is 23 degrees and rising, but uh, Abigail, your work is the build up, which mm-hmm. is about the, the literally that kind of uh, build up to uh, what the monster 
monsoon season in Darwin. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. and Matthew's work deep north is looking at kind of the landscape of far northern Queensland. Mm. Now, you're both Melbourne-based artists. Mm. Why this fascination with the tropics and the far north of Australia? Well, I, I did grow up there. Um, I grew up uh, with um, a fairly intimate connection with the environment, um, sort of down a, a valley in, in the rainforest. But I also grew up with a father who was a fairly, and still is a fairly eminent ecologist in the region as well. So I grew up with a lot of conversations about uh, the evolution of that environment, the issues facing that environment, and the, the complexities of managing um, and maintaining those environments. But I guess I was also really fascinated by the psychology that the landscape presented, the really dense sort of complex surfaces uh, were the things that drew me in first when I started photographing it. And it started to feel strange again after a while that nostalgia started to recede and a, a sort of sense of um, kind of a deep time um, complexity started to open out for me after a while and I just became more and more... Um, yeah, just deeply involved in the project over six years and are still ongoing at, at present. So, Well, yeah, um, my project, yeah, is, is on the build-up. So it, um, we're talking about the transitional time from, from dry to monsoonal and kind of the, the restless nature of the natural environment. But, um, you know, doing my research into it, we're also looking at um, you know the psychological juncture at this time. I read about you know people going a bit troppo and and as the locals like to call it, mango madness is when um, the mangoes ripen and fall from the trees and and people go a little mad just because yeah the, the humidity is is almost oppressive yeah. Um, how do you capture that kind of sense of uh, the humidity but also the psychological tension uh, as the, the, the humidity builds, as the pressure builds in the lead-up to the monsoon season breaking? How do you capture that in a series of still photographs? Um, I, think I, I think I thought about my visual language being a real direct kind of anchor for the project and thinking about, um, you know, how I want it to look, how, you know, when I went... What, Went over there. I was thinking of ideas I wanted to evoke, but I actually thought this is going to be an abstract series. Um, I don't, unless I'm shooting some, you know, mangoes everywhere, or you know, I wanted to get away from it to be quite literal and 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 you know, um, but yeah, definitely color was 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 what I wanted to express as as something. Um, communicating that heavy, thick mm. um, feel. So my, my photographs are quite moody, quite dark. Um, yeah, trying to evoke, you know, that sense of oppressive kind of humidity and the build-up and that tension. And, and in the gallery, um, it was nice to play with kind of the structure. So, you know, the two side walls were transitioning and then the last wall we wanted to act as kind of a release or the dramatic entrance of the monsoon. So, yeah, it was nice to... Um, you know, put this project together, yeah. But it is, Richard, quite abstract, yeah. Yeah. And, Matthew, uh, uh, your work, and I haven't been to see the exhibition yet, but I'm going to try and get along this afternoon, but uh, looking at some of the images on the CCP website, uh, which is ccp.org.au, if people want to jump on there and have a look at some of Abigail and Matthew's work while we're talking. Um, some of your images, Matthew, uh, they're quite misty, quite kind of... Uh, 
kind of haunted almost, uh, and whether that's of kind of uh, a cultural burning the smoke, uh, kind of obscuring the trees, or whether it's a, a, a kind of a misty morning river kind of receding into the distance. Uh, are those images on the website typical of your work in the exhibition? Um, actually, they're relatively eight. Well, maybe becoming more typical because I've been engaging with the history of ecological and cultural history of fire in the region a lot more and more over the last couple of years, something people were relatively oblivious to. But also, I guess... Um, I guess the, the mistiness is something that punctuates the series in a way because it's sort of ways at looking at space, um, you know, uh, visible space, invisible space, um, Cartesian time and linear time um, imposed upon landscapes uh, in terms of uh, settler colonial culture as well. Um, so I'm sort of trying to kind of negotiate that interface between um, our understanding of the landscape and our experience of it from a settler colonial perspective relative to a sort of a, a, a more a deeper, more complex, uh, almost kind of mythical sort of time history. So the smoke is a way of trying to connect the present with a deeper time scale as well in some cases. If you've just tuned in, I'm speaking with artists Matthew Stanton and Abigail Varney about 23 Degrees and Rising, which is a, uh, an exhibition currently showing at the Centre for Contemporary Photography in George Street, Fitzroy, and it's on until the 20th of October. Given that this is really uh, the exhibition, kind of the first opportunity you've had to uh, learn about one another's practice, can you perhaps, what have you, for example, Abigail, what have you seen in, uh, in Matthew's work? Um, I like like Matthew's work is 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 um, shot in eight by ten, so there's these beautifully um, detailed images. Um, I think I connect mostly um, with what Matt was saying in his artist talk about you know um, having had lived there previously, but you know you're trying to let nostalgia go because I I often do shoot from sometimes from a nostalgic point of view so was it really interesting to hear how you kind of separated that and and you know you build a new kind of perspective and a new body of work so yeah I really like that Matt oh good <laughs> and, and uh, in response, man, kind of uh, uh, looking at Abigail's mm. work well I felt a bit jealous in a way I mean I, I can't oh. shoot like that really anymore I've somehow that kind of capacity seems to have atrophied I've, I've lugged this juggernaut of a camera around so it was lovely to see somebody having a dialogue with the wet tropical uh, regions of Australia really um, f powerfully conveying the sort of you know palpable psychological experience of those environments the kind of you know late December torpor uh, which I know all too well the you know stifling heat the incredible um, elemental release of the monsoon season and how that becomes, mm -hmm. you know, how that's reflected, you know, those elementals also um, awaken elementals within as well, uh, I think is a very significant part of that landscape, which becomes a part of you. And for somebody who's not probably spent as much time there, she no. really taps into that in a really effective way. Um, so, yeah, that sense, um, the sense of... Uh, you know, the casual observation of, of individuals, the, um, you know, the visceral experience of being there um, and just the nights, those kind of muggy nights mm. and the, the kind of cloudy, you know, um, warm sort of uh, colour coloration of the skies yeah. and things like that are, are just so familiar to me. But, um, you know, the way Abigail treated it uh, just conveyed a, you know, a great sensitivity to her subject matter. So. And for both of you, just as a, a final question, you're documenting uh, landscape, environment, uh, kind of uh, the far north of Australia, whether it's Darwin or far north Queensland. How important is it 
to you as well that these photographs serve as a kind of a documentation of that landscape as it exists now, uh, mm. given that uh, in 20, 30 years time as climate change continues to impact, that the landscape that you have photographed may change quite dramatically. Mm. Yeah, I suppose with any kind of project, you know, your body of work acts as a vehicle to think about, you know, a broader sense of a topic. So, yeah, I definitely wanted to, yeah, photograph, you know, this this build-up season because, you know, you know, talking about climate change, it... It seems like you know there is discussion about it being extended, um, therefore you know pushing the monsoon season back and, and therefore shortening it. So I just yeah this, this, the land is definitely going to change. So I wanted to yeah make make that um, make it you know photograph now and 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 God hope for the best. Mm. Yeah, well, there's there's a number of um, converging issues in terms of that because uh, within the wet tropics alone, there's a, a huge attrition of environments. Uh, the rainforest within, I think, 600,000 hectares of the wet tropics area, only around 300,000 hectares of it is really intact after cyclonic damage, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wet sclerophyll forests are disappearing because of the removal in, of indigenous fire practices. So we're seeing these very simple closed forests emerging um, and the eucalyptus trees can't regenerate anymore so we're losing biodiversity very at a very very rapid rate in the area and then of course with climate change you've got all of these high altitude creatures that are uh, on the precipice of extinction because they can only go up the mountain so far uh, and they're not adapted for the temperatures that we're seeing in the region anymore so things like the white lemuride possum the uh, uh, green uh, ringtail possum um, a number of other high altitude species are within probably the next decade quite likely to go extinct. So there's this sort of sense of slow violence that climate change is inflicting upon that environment, which a lot of the locals uh, seem to ignore because it's you know on a different time scale and it's not you know as, as visible as um, it needs to be for them to recognise it. So yeah, the exhibition Twenty Three Degrees and Rising, featuring uh, photographic works by Matthew Stanton and Abigail Varney, is on now at CCP the Centre for Contemporary Photography, 404 George Street, Fitzroy, and is showing until the 20th of October. The gallery is open Wednesdays to Fridays, 11am till 5pm, and Saturdays and Sundays from midday until 5pm. And you can jump online for more info and to see some samples of Matthew and Abigail's work at ccp.org.au. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Richard. Pleasure. Bye. Triple R. My next guest joins us on the line to talk about a performance by the Oslo-based company Panto Ray Danstheater. Uh, Anne Ekenes is the CEO and artistic director of this Norwegian company who are performing at Monash University's uh, Ian Potter Centre for Performing Arts coming up on the 6th of September. Anne, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, and thank you for joining us on the line today. Now, I suspect that not many of our listeners are familiar with uh, contemporary dance from Norway. Uh, you're presenting two works uh, out at Monash. Talk to us about the, the I guess, the style of dance, the, the uh, physical vocabulary of the company. What can people expect? Yes. Um, Pantheria Dance Theatre is uh, very um, occupied with the physicality of the dancers. So we really enjoy the high pace, physicality, uh, intricate movements, but also 
um, movements that can maybe be a bit more inspiring for the audience to watch. Uh, but at the same time, we're really eager to convey a theme and a, um, not a storyline so much, but something that will evoke the feelings of the audience as well. So it's that combination of, of the physicality and the theme-based uh, way of working with dance that I would say is kind of the key um, stylistic uh, features that we're working with. Now, the company is presenting two works, Lullaby, which is uh, a fairly recent work from 2015 uh, and which is performed by a cast of three male dancers. And the second work is I Wish Her Well from 2012, uh, which is about the stories of four women who are kind of quite closely related to the dancers. Why the pairing of these two works? One uh, focused on male energy, uh, the other focused on female energy and female performance. Well, I think um, always when we work with dancers, we are really interested in their own personal, physical vocabulary, but we're also interested in their stories and how they think and what they think about and um, how this is fused together with the way they're moving. And also in that sense, it's, it's interesting to watch how women and men um, move differently, but also how they do move um, similarly and how they do attack movement and physicality um, in different ways but also at the same time see how they do it similarly even though they are men and women and so we were intrigued by working with a full cast of women and a full cast of men and just to explore movement from that perspective as well but always from the point of view of the theme that we're working with to bring a full cast of women and a full cast of men to to Australia and to present both pieces in one evening, we're hoping is is going to give the audience, uh, uh, I, I would say, an interesting and maybe a different view of of how to to watch masculinity and and um, the feminine side of movement that can maybe both surprise and, and entertain. And, and that's what we wanted uh, to do at the same time as exploring some themes that we think are important to look at. In Lullaby, for example, uh, the work is not just looking at masculine friendship and male behaviour, but it's exploring the way that men's friendships can twist to become aggressive, the way that um, teasing or uh, joking or pushing somebody around can begin to cross over into something genuine, genuinely aggressive. Uh, talk to us a little bit more ab yeah. about the work uh, and this kind of exploration of yeah. a really kind of deeply personal uh, and sometimes toxic uh, form of male behaviour. Yes. It all started with um, a, a record called the, the Lullabies from the Axis of Evil. And it's a Norwegian record company that created this as a, as a comment and reaction to George W. Bush um, um, kind of categorizing countries in the world as the axis of evil. And they went out and found lullabies from these countries to, to counter that expression. And so we thought it would be interesting to look at how to develop choreography for men related to these lullabies. This is where it started, and then it went something somewhere completely else. Because when we started working in the uh, in the studio, uh, we were also looking at how um, 
these male dancers were were working together in the studio, how they were developed movement and how their social interaction could have an impact on the choreographic development. And then it increasingly started to become about masculinity and, and how um, men interact in a way. Uh, and of course, this is is not looking at the, you know, the totality of how men are interacting with each other, but it, it's kind of a... Um, in from a couple of different angles that uh, was developed in the studio together with the male dancers as creative partners, if you like. And then it, it ended up more and more going towards exploring how communication between these three men can start somewhere quite comfortable and, and funny and, and um, seemingly good. And then all of a sudden, what is it that makes that social change to become more aggressive and and uh, why is that and how does that happen and maybe sometimes that that's almost unrecognizable to find out why but but then there is this uh, uncomfort and the aggressiveness through so that is the first half and then the second half is more looking uh, at it from a humoristic uh, side almost ridiculing um, this a little bit um, not laughing out loud but but looking how these men are, are together developing a different kind of relationship from a more humoristic uh, point of view. So it's, it's, it's gone from something that had a uh, political statement um, related to, to America's view on these uh, countries that was labeled as the axis of evil to become more about masculinity and, and therefore also going into how aggressive behavior develop and, and how and and then also a humoristic view on it. So, so that's where it ended up, and that's what we find really interesting about going into the studio working creatively as well, is to see how one idea can uh, shift from one shape to another, depending on who you're working with and, and their physicality and their ideas and creative input. So it's, it's been a really, really interesting journey uh, that has created a, a performance that we keep getting a lot of positive feedback in terms of how they feel, it's it's almost like a contemporary um, comment on society to uh, being really physically interesting to watch. So, so that's where Lullaby is, is is ended up, I think. Yeah. Has I Wish Her Well, which is the second work you're presenting, uh, has that also evolved considerably from its starting point, which has began with the stories of uh, of women, uh, one. Uh, one part of the work based on the stories of four women who are closely related to the dancers and Act 2 based on the diaries of a 16-year-old girl who's now an 82-year-old woman. Yes, it's it's a, a very... The, the 82-year-old woman is my grandmother. So <laughs> it started with me uh, when I was young. I was allowed to read her diaries. And um, I really remember how I felt that when I was 14, I could relate to my 16-year-old grandmother and that the, the, the life of a teenager hadn't changed all that much from the post-World War, uh, Second World War, to how I was feeling in the 1980s and 90s. And um, that's where it started. When I came home uh, after my education in London and, and being a performer and choreographer in London, coming back home to Norway, wanting to make work, I thought I really need to focus on these diaries uh, because they are so interesting and they're still 
universally true in many ways you know how how girls are thinking their inner thoughts and secrets that you can be allowed to read through these diaries so that's that's where it started and then then when we gathered the the dancers we uh, like always wanted to involve their stories as well so then we started to dig into uh, stories that they have of women in their close um, as relatives or friends of their families that they know have interest stories to, to tell and then we collected those stories and developed into a first and a second half so the first half is about these women that is related uh, to the artist the performing artist and the second half is actually based on the diaries of my grandmother um, so it's become a very personal and emotional piece for me and and my grandmother has actually um, been on tour with us uh, introducing the piece quite often uh, up until recently where she's now turning 90 actually uh, in may next year and um, we tried to entice her to go to australia but she felt it was a little bit too far it is a long way to come for a 90 year old yes it is it is she nearly did it but then she she felt her health wasn't quite well enough but i i think you know now the dancers are bringing her stories with them and are really eager to bring them to australia too and it, for me it is an incredibly emotional piece well hopefully audiences will uh, respond with the same emotion that uh, uh, that you respond to the piece with uh, the two works that we're talking about lullaby and i wish her well by the norwegian uh, company pantaray dance theater are being performed at the uh, alexander theater ian potter center for performing arts uh, in clayton on the 6th of september performances at 2 p.m 6 p.m and 8 30 p.m uh, for more information www.monash.org edu uh, forward slash m live uh, to find out all of the details about the performances of i wish her well and lullaby on the 6th of september and echinus thank you very much for joining us on the line today thank you very much triple ah now, often on this show, we focus on work that's on in Melbourne, but uh, we also like to, when we can, cast the net further afield. Um, and one of the events uh, we're going to chat about now, the Ballarat Photo Biennale on until the 20th of October. Its creative director, Fiona Swick, joins us on the line. Fiona, good morning. Oh, good morning, Richard. So how's it all going? You, things kicked off on the 23rd of August. Have you had a flood of uh, visitors from out of town descending on Ballarat en masse to look at all the work that's exhibited this year? We have indeed. It's been a really, really busy opening week. So opening weekend was last Saturday and we had thousands of people uh, walking through the streets on what is often a very quiet day, Saturday and Sunday, in the centre of Ballarat. So it's been a really, really, really good start to the festival and the response has been really, really good. Now, what's the focus of the festival uh, this year? Have you kind of established a theme, for example, as some uh, festivals do, or uh, have you allowed a theme to emerge or out of the collective interests of the photographers represented? Well, we did start with a theme, which was Hello World, and that's really looking at the way we see the world, both from the past and looking forward into the future, and specifically looking at the kind of technological advances and um, thematics within um, photography in general. Um, so some of that, of course, has been reflected in 
looking back into the past at a reflection on Bear House, which of course is celebrating 100 years this year, and of course the um, anniversary of the landing of the moon. So we're looking at contemporary photographic practice in both of those exhibitions. And Liu Bullin, our hero or main lead photographer, is very much looking at um, the performative um, qualities of photography and how that affects our everyday lives. Now, in terms of curating uh, a festival like the Biennale, obviously you, you have a little bit more time because it is a Biennale rather than a festival that's happening every year. Um, in terms of the process of coordinating and curating uh, an exhibition like this, talk to us about the challenges of trying to represent a range of international photographic practices uh, particularly when there are so many artists working out there. How do you kind of curate, how do you select what is uh, eventually represented in the festival program? It's a, it's a really, really, really difficult, um, uh, a difficult ask to um, find who you want to exhibit because, as we know, as an art form, photography is growing in popularity and strength and so many, many artists work within the photographic medium who don't even call themselves photographers. So, so for example... Penelope Umbreco, who is exhibiting at the um, Ballarat Observatory. Her work is found imagery that she then collages. So it's really, really difficult. I spend um, the full two years uh, discussing projects with different artists from around the world. Last year, I was fortunate enough to have an Ian Potter Foundation fellowship to go to Europe and visit photographers, curators, directors and in fact other festivals to start learning how they do it and how well they do it and to develop the Biennale here in Ballarat to make sure that we are, I suppose, world class. Um, it, is, it is a really difficult ask but on the other hand, can I say, Richard, it's also incredibly fun. Um, it's really wonderful having dialogue with different artists and, and discussing their intent and discussing how they want to see the world. Now, talking, uh, let's talk about some of the individual artists and uh, works that are in the, the festival program. One that immediately caught my eye uh, is, and I must admit it's partially because of a, a fairly handsome half-naked man, uh, but the fact that it's uh, a work by an Israeli photographer who's kind of in some ways almost satirising or sending up the, the kind of masculine stereotypes of uh, the Israeli army and life in the army. Yes, so Adines um, is probably one of Israel's most significant artists. He's exhibited globally. He's a very quiet, um, unassuming person. He's been out here for a week uh, giving talks. His work is looking at of course, as you, as, it's unfortunate you can't see it on the radio, but he's talking about ma masculinity, sexuality and war. I mean, they're the three uh, prime drivers for this series. And as you know, he stages his photographs. They're very much um, in that genre of in-camera photography. He gets these beautiful semi-naked men to pose in... Um, in semi-clad military clothing uh, uh, and he's really wanting us to look a little bit deeper at uh, the role of war, particularly in his area of the world. 
Now, uh, one of the other international artists whose work is represented and a very timely uh, work considering the legislation that's uh, being, I think, just uh, going into law in New South Wales around uh, women's rights uh, to abortion, uh, the Spanish photographer, uh, Laia Abril, who's looking at uh, women's reproductive rights uh, and the, the way those rights are actually deteriorating in some places. Yeah, it's a fantastic exhibition, Richard. It's um, it's long-form documentary, which um, we've got a few long-form documentaries. This one is very close to my heart because it's about women's rights to have affordable and safe abortion. So the exhibition looks at various countries in the world and also at the history of the kinds of contraception and the kinds of terminations that women are forced to have because there isn't uh, safe and affordable abortions. We've actually got Van Badham coming up on Saturday to give a talk on this very topic, which, as you know, is also a very important um, issue for her. So, yes, I mean, we booked... I booked this exhibition a year and a half ago uh, because it's such an important topic, not knowing that, that, that there was that big issue in New South Wales. I just assumed that we... Australia-wide um, had the rights to free and affordable, uh, affordable and safe abortions without any legal requirements. Now, that's some of the international artists represented. Talk about now perhaps uh, some of the Australian artists. And let's start with uh, the Aboriginal artist Dr Fiona Foley's solo exhibition, Who Are These Strangers and Where Are They Going?, which uh, Dion Mundine has curated. Yes, it's a great exhibition. So, as you know, Dr Fiona Foley is, has got a significant history um, uh, of uh, of exhibitions and of a body, a very large body of work. And we're very excited to pull all those um, uh, works into one solo show in the beautiful mining exchange in the centre of Ballarat. So there's over 70 or 80 works uh, reflecting her 30-year career. Um, but the interesting part about that exhibition is that the title, Who Are These Strangers and Where Are They Going?, is the first line of a poem uh, from her community, from the Butchler people, about when they saw Captain Cook first uh, sail past her island. So she's bringing that history at a time when we're focusing on Indigenous languages this year, into this um, curated by John Mundane, into this uh, beautifully um, organised exhibition. And the song that uh, Joe Geyer and Taylor Watson have um, created will be is playing in the exhibition as well. It's a very strong and powerful exhibition about Indigenous rights, and I hope many, many people come along to view it. We're speaking with Fiona Sweet, who's the creative director of the Ballarat Photo Biennale, which is on now until the 20th of October. Uh, another way that people can uh, look at the work of uh, particularly uh, local artists, Australian artists, uh, is the Open Program as part of the Photo Biennale, which provides a platform for artists and curators at any stage of their career and pretty much takes over just about every accessible space in Ballarat, as I understand it. Yes, there's something like 55 cafes and bars throughout Ballarat for 60 days that are exhibiting photography. Uh, a lot of the photographers are local or local to Ballarat and the region. There's probably over 35 of the artists are local to the region. And what is fantastic about Ballarat, of course, for a Biennale, is that you can arrive on the train or even by car, leave your car behind and walk through 
the streets of Ballarat, eat lunch, drink wine, see photography, walk through the laneways and see the outdoor program and then, of course, see the curated program. So there's over 100 exhibitions and I would say at least half are Australian photographers or photographic artists. And you mentioned earlier in our conversation that one of the aspects of the curated program for Ballarat International International Photo Biennale is uh, tied into the anniversary, the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. So this is uh, To the Moon and Back. Tell us a little more. So Rebecca Nadowski and Colleen Boyle have curated this exhibition with Australian and international photographers and... um, it's a really interesting exhibition because it's site-specific. So we've taken over the Ballarat Observatory, which, like most things in Ballarat, are the oldest. So it's one of the oldest observatories. So there's beautiful old buildings with uh, with the telescopes in them. So the exhibitions are within the spaces that are normally used um, to look at the stars. So it's a, a very unusual exhibition. There's lots of work that's just applied to walls. One of the rooms have been, has been clad in uh, silver even to um, create a sort of a, a lunar approach. Um, the artists that we've got are Andrew Curtis from Australia, from Melbourne. Vincent Fournier has got a series of outdoor works which are really interesting. One of them is a, a fabulous image which is just the bottom half of a, a space suit but because it's so heavy and structural it just sits there and it, you can imagine someone actually being in there. Sasha Huber from Switzerland, Sharon Harper from America, Penelope Umbreco who just gave a talk last night at the NGV so she's a very significant artist from New York. Uh, Matt Lips is also from America and one of the, um, an ex-student of Rebecca and Colleen's who studied photography at RMIT who's gone back to China, he's also, Kong Lin is also exhibiting. So it is focusing specifically on on, on the landing, but not in a very literal narrative way. It's people's interpretations of, of, of that very um, significant um, year that they landed on the moon. So a range of works are being presented as part of the Ballarat International Photo Biennale 2019. It's on now until the 20th of October in a range of venues across Ballarat, uh, including the Ballarat Central Uniting Church, the Ballarat Botanical Gardens, and, as you would expect, the Art Gallery of Ballarat, but also, as Fiona has told us, in cafes and uh, other businesses across central Ballarat and even in its laneways. For more info, ballaratphoto.com. Org, but photo spelled F-O-T-O, ballaratphoto.org. The uh, Biennale, as we said, on until the 20th of October. Fiona Sweet, thank you so much for joining us here at Triple R. Thank you so much, Richard. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 